Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Trinity Talks. You may recognize this is not Jake. Jake's out this week, so you just got me. No, just kidding. We got a special guest today. We've got Sarah Krivsky joining us. Sarah, we'd love to introduce you. Sarah and Andrew, her husband, have been good friends to Allie and I. But yeah, Sarah, tell us a little bit about yourself. And yeah. Yes, so I am Sarah Krivsky. I'm married to Andrew Krivsky, and we have two sons, Levi, uh, who is almost two, and then Jack, who is just hit one month old. And fun fact about Jack, sorry to interrupt, Jack <laughs> is joining us today. So Jack's first podcast of life is at, what is he, two months? Yeah, <laughs> two almost, months of age. almost two months. <laughs> so Hopefully he won't have too much to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we uh, moved back to... Uh, the Raleigh area in January of 2022 after living in Winston-Salem for a little bit and been working on staff at Holy Trinity as the Young Children's Wing Assistant um, since the end of last year and just excited to keep working on, on staff at Holy Trinity. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, you and Andrew, y'all been a big blessing to, to our lives and to the church. So, yeah, excited for um you know, further opportunities to serve and to get plugged in. Curious, you know, the last two months I'm sure have been crazy, you know, adding a, another young one around. Yeah, what's something fun or you guys have been able to do? Maybe it has just been, you know, the the mom and dad life, but have y'all, I don't know, watched any fun TV shows lately or been able to make any vacations happen or anything like that? Or, yeah, what's something you guys have done for fun lately? Yeah, the last few months have been <laughs> have been quite crazy. So besides having an addition to the family, we have enjoyed some good food, some new restaurants that we've tried. We tried Printworks in Greensboro mm. and another place in Raleigh recently. We went to Raleigh Ironworks okay. recently and tried the new sandwich shop and ice cream place and then went to a, a concert mm. uh, recently at the Ritz, which was fun. So just trying to find ways where we can still connect despite having two two little ones running cool. around. Cool. Fun fact about Printworks, I went there for my prom, my high school <laughs> prom. <laughs> so very familiar with Printworks. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a good one. Uh, you guys happen to step out and see uh, – Barbie or Oppenheimer? Or we have not seen either of those yet. Okay. Andrew is begging to see Barbie. So oh, okay. He wants to see Barbie. Good. <laughs> Hopefully <laughs> we can make it happen. Good, good. I'll take him to go see yeah. Oppenheimer sometime. <laughs> but, um, well, good deal. Yeah, really happy to have you here. And I mean, I think a big part of this podcast is, while, yes, Jake and I have a lot to talk about, we want to have other voices represented either on our staff team or just other people in the congregation. So, yeah, when I thought about this topic, I couldn't help but think, man, I bet Sarah has a lot of good things to say about this. And so, again, happy to have you here. One thing I wanted to start by talking about today, kind of ease into larger conversation, is something we've been talking about a lot is not just building community, but building friendships. Mm-hmm. Friendships, it's a, it's a loaded word, you know, like <laughs> we use the same word to describe our adult friendships that we describe our like five-year-old friendships, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and sometimes, you know, 
they, there's vastly different things. Like the way you define friendship at five years old is very different than 25. And so how do you, how do we think about friendships and, you know, what, what, what's important, what's valuable? Um, and so I just think that's a helpful place to start as we transition to think about um, how the New Testament thinks about community and what friendship looks like underneath community. So yeah, I, basic question here is just, you know, what traits do you value most in, in your friendships? A lot of people may have different thoughts there, but curious, curious what you might say to that. Yeah, so when I think of traits that I value most in my friends and then also the traits that I try and carry out within my own friendships, um, I think of 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11. And 1 Peter 4 as the chapter is all about how we as believers have experienced the grace of God in our lives and how we're to steward that and allow it to shape not only ourselves, but our relationships with others. And so First Peter 4, 8 through 11 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So from this, it won't be extensive, but I'll just pull out a few values that I see that are super important in, in my friendships. So loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. A value I see in a good friendship is being able to love and care for others in both the good times and the bad. So whether it's in walking alongside a friend through the joy of pregnancy or suffering of a miscarriage or they're doing the same for me, I know this person cares for all aspects of my life because they love earnestly and they desire to see me flourish and I desire the same for them. Also, the ability to serve and show hospitality even when it's not convenient at times. And I think especially when it's not convenient because that's usually when it's needed the most. Um, and then finally, in order that in everything, God may be glorified. So I value in friendships where our talking conversations are ultimately bringing more glory to God and drawing us both individually closer to the Lord so that he may receive glory, as it says, forever and ever. Mm. Awesome. Thank you. Walked through that passage really well. <laughs> but that's also some really helpful thoughts and friendships. And I have a question to just follow up to that, and yeah. just kind of putting you on the spot. Didn't ask you this beforehand or anything, but something we talked about in the last podcast was like one of the difficulties in friendships sometimes, especially in like young adult world, is we feel like when we pursue friendships that everybody needs to be our best friend, mm -hmm. you know, and like most of the friendships that you've had in your life before you're out of college, they're kind of just given to you, like mm -hmm. your sweet mates, your teammates, and those just people just naturally become your, your best friends. And mm -hmm. so uh, I guess as you apply this to your like adult friendships, you know, like how do you think about, okay, well, like these people are, of course you want to be really good friends to them, but like you've got like your, your deep friendships at mm -hmm. home. I don't know if I'm putting a distinct thought into a question well, but how do you think about pursuing friendships well, not like, you know, applying the same thoughts to like, oh, these were like my best friends in college. Now these new people need to become my new best friends and then I'll move somewhere else and they become my new best friends. So I don't know if you're picking up what I'm putting down. Yeah. But any thoughts to applying? Yeah. That? I think we'll talk more about this as we get on into the podcast. But when I think of friendship, I think of it not as uh, replacing, so I'm not replacing those relationships that I have with people that are in 
in college or people that I went to high school with, um, those are still friendships and relationships, but because of either um, our proximity, which we'll talk about later, or life stage or um, different values, uh, those relationships just can't be the same. And so I think we see the example of Jesus. He had three to five really close inner Mm -hmm. circle and the desire for me and my adult relationships is to have those three to five that I can really invest in and they can invest in me. And ideally they live really close so that whenever something does happen, they can be there or I can be there for them. We live in a unique point in history where we think about friendships like that. Like the phrase best friend even Mm -hmm. is kind of interesting. Like (laughs) you don't, I don't know, read a few biographies. And I never read the word best friend until like the last 25 years. <laughs> like it feels like MySpace top eight did something with how we think about friendships. Yeah. Like we're always ranking them and mm-hmm. uh, replacing them at certain times. And I don't think that's really how Jesus thought about it. Like, yes, he did have the close few and then he even had the 12, but then he also like sees Zacchaeus and yeah. he like invites himself over to Zacchaeus's house. Like he, mm-hmm. it's not that he, like, yes, he does have people he's consistently in proximity with, but he's able to, like, apply basic principles of friendship to, to new friends, too. Mm-hmm. And he's never thinking about it in terms of replacing. He's just like, no, I'm called to be a good friend to this person, and I want to love them as Christ loves them. So, anyways, I'm sure, yeah, we'll, we'll dive into that more. But I think that's a constant little question I have in my head is, like, okay, um, how do I balance off these, like, friendships that I've had for mm-hmm. 20 years or more? And they might not be as proximate with this mm-hmm. new couple or new family that I'm interacting with. Do I need to apply the same level of friendship I have with them, with this person? Anyways, a bunch of different thoughts there. Um, I, the way I would think, I've thought about it and shared this with a few other people, but um, there's this quote. So you, you went Bible. I, I'm yeah. going uh, C.S. Lewis. <laughs> um, so listen to Sarah, everybody. Clive Staples is not inspired. Uh, but C.S. Lewis had a famous literary group known as the Inklings, included another famous guy. You may have heard of him, J.R.R. Tolkien. Promise I won't talk too much about him. But in his book, The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis describes losing a dear friend that he and Tolkien shared in, in that Inklings group. His name was Charles Williams. I just love this quote. Lewis just says, in each of my friends, there is something that only some other friends can fully bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. Now that Charles is dead, that's their friend, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specific Charles joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself, but now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. Really cool little thought there. It's just this idea of like our friendships bring out more of one another in our friendship and in our communities. We want to be known and we want to become more of ourselves through the friendships around us. And what Lewis is saying here is that, man, I'll never, like I lose a part of my other friends when I lose um, my other friends. So all that to say, like the best aspects of of the friendships I've seen in my life is they just, they bring out more of myself and then they bring out more of, of my other friends too, you know, um, their humor, their, um, their insights and wisdom into things and just, um, just solid quality time. And I think this picks up and we're going to talk a lot about some principles from, uh, Jenny Allen's book, find your people. 
she says of this topic, uh, she just has this question. Maybe, maybe the question we're really asking behind the question of how do I make friends or what am I looking for in friends is this, how can I belong to an intimate community of people? You know, I, I think she's so spot on with that observation. I think also this is why so many people have had a difficult time in the community that they've engaged in with the church. You know, you can have what looks like community, but you're not really <laughs> pursuing one another in any sort of intimate setting and, and enhancing one another like Lewis would talk about or, or like you were talking about in First Peter 4. So that's kind of the question that we're asking today. You know, we're kind of turning the corner between... You know, the last two podcasts, we were talking about, like, some theological stuff. You know, what we were created for in community and then what went wrong. So this episode and the next episode is going to be turning the corner to a lot more practical stuff. You know, what does gospel flourishing community, like, actually look like? <laughs> and what do our, and behind that question, we're, we're, ta- we're touching on what do gospel flourishing friendships look like? So... I'm going to catch us up to speed a little bit, uh, biblically and theologically, and then I'm going to hand it off to Sarah, kind of walk through some of those points. So, that all sound good? Sounds good. Yeah. Cool. So, just picking people up to speed, you know, we are walking through in this podcast series, and like, there's four episodes, and you've got your creation, fall, redemption, new creation, third episode here. So, we're really talking today about the redemption of community. Last week, the last place I left off of was the the Tower of Babel story. And there I mentioned in that podcast, maybe worth pausing, listening to that part of that podcast real quick. But in contrast there between the folly of what the people at the Tower of Babel were doing, trying to make a name for themselves, and the obedience of Abraham and his descendants at the beginning of Genesis 12. Those chapters are juxtaposed. They're placed beside each other in such a way in order to enhance that contrast where the people of Babel tried to make a name for themselves where Abraham and his family was one whom God would make his name great through his obedience. So let's I want to zoom in a little bit closer to what God says to Abraham at the beginning of chapter 12. His name is is Abram at this point. He'll get the the last uh, suffix later and on in a few chapters. <laughs> but beginning of chapter 12 here, verses 1 through 3 just says, "Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So if you take a step back just for a second and just look at the larger biblical narrative, Genesis 12 is this turning point in the narrative. It is the breath of hope in the midst of a story that keeps going downhill. You know, things look good, chapter 1 and 2, the fall in Eden happens, chapter 3, and then Genesis 3 through Genesis 11 is just domino after domino keeps falling. Things keep getting worse and worse. You've got Cain and Abel, you've got the Noah story, you've got Tower of Babel, and it looks like humans are a bunch of messed up stuff, people. And we're still a bunch of messed up people. (laughs) But um, at Genesis 12, though, you see this initiation of God's rescue plan for creation, his, his blueprint for redemptive history and redemptive history for the world. And he says that he's going to do this, interestingly, with Abraham and his descendants who will bless all the families of the earth. Now, I don't want to stay here too long, but just super basic observation can be made here as we begin to talk about specifics of community. 
That is that God came down from heaven for a people in order that they may bless other people. Now, that might, you know, that might seem duh, obvious. But I think we often think he came down to save me so that I might bless you or something like that. Or he, he saved us in order that we might save our neighbors. And that's, that's partially true. But I think for the purposes of our conversation, I want to communicate that God came down to rescue a specific family a specific community in order that they may rescue and bless other families, other communities of the world. That's kind of what's happening at the beginning of, of Genesis 12. And so just from the beginning of the rescue project for God, God's people are meant to be a missionary people, a chosen channel of blessing to others. But this is a specific kind of identity. God's people are always meant to be a saved from and saved to be people. Um, I think that's a helpful distinction to make. Um, there's always these obligations that we take upon ourselves after we're saved, obligations to seek and save the lost, obligations to be ambassadors for Christ, obligations to be a light to the world. But the point here ultimately is just to say that God works through people, plural, for people, plural. God works through communities to save other communities. So it's just a, a basic kind of point in principle to think about in the course of the 66 book of the books of the Bible. Genesis 12 comes around as somewhat of this, this linchpin to communicate like, yes, I am speaking to Abraham. I am choosing him to be this channel of blessing, but my goal is for his family to then be a blessing to other families of the earth, other people groups, other communities in the world. So it's just a, to say that God, the way he works through saving the world is to work through plural groups of people. Another word for that is communities. <laughs> and so just to kind of point, like biblically, theologically speaking, that communities are how God's plan A to save the world. Ultimately, the church will come along and do that. But that's just a helpful way to fast forward through 39 books of the Old Testament <laughs> to see like this is what Israel was meant to be. And they often failed at doing that. Uh, but then when Jesus comes around, He's going to pick up that responsibility in his own life and then call the church into something as well. So, um, any, sorry, sir, I've been diving into Abraham and everything. Are there any thoughts or, or questions, any of that? No, I think that's, I think that's good. I like how um, you made the point that God works through people, plural, groups of people, for people, either individually or plural, and that really it is through community that that God saves people and rescues people and whether that's through the community being the church or through um, some of our own individual communities within life, um, mm -hmm. we do see see the gospel spreading and people flourishing because of that. Nice. So I'll hand it over to you <laughs> at this point, if that's okay. When, we, when you turn the page from those 39 books of the old to the 27 of the new, got first four of the Gospels and mm -hmm. Jesus' life. Um, yeah, when we get to Jesus' life, what do we see? How do we see him pursuing community? Yeah, so we find ourselves in the New Testament. Jesus is in community. Pretty basic op observation, but Jesus, the second person of the triune Godhead, which is living within community themselves, mm -hmm. that we discussed last week, thought it was good 
to be in community with others. And he didn't just think it, he, he lived it. So we see a lot of examples throughout the Gospels, the first four books of, of Jesus living in community, displaying community, giving us examples of what community within our own lives should look like. And he really did life with, with people that he loved. He loved the people that he was around, even when they didn't look like him and didn't didn't follow his teachings. He loved them despite that. So consider a list of things with me just for a second of ways that Jesus did live in community with those that were around him. We see that he went where they worked and he went to their houses. He interacted with family members and he prayed with people. He prayed in front of them on his own, but also at times with them. He did things like he fished with them and traveled with them and ate with them. Very normal things that we do. Jesus was doing with these people. He taught them and he explained his parables to them, both privately and within his sermons. And he invited them into his hometown. He was in some pretty scary, dangerous situations with them. And through those things and through other things, gave them opportunities to just trust in God. He rebuked them. So he he knew their lives and he was willing to to speak into them. Um, he spoke to things like their their finances, things that are really important. But then he also wasn't scared to show emotion. He cried in front of them. He was compassionate with them. Um, he was able to celebrate with them at things like weddings and festivals. And he sent them out to do to do ministry, to follow him, to do ministry. We also see him get angry and rebuke rebuke people. And we see Jesus ask a lot of questions to people. And, and at times we see um, Jesus letting them fail, not doing things for them, but calling them to do things on their own and allowing them to, to, to fail at times. Mm. And so even in his resurrection, what, is, what does he do? He comes back and he meets with his disciples and he has breakfast with them on the shore. Mm. So community doesn't, doesn't stop here on this earth. We'll experience community in heaven, perfect community, which we don't experience here. But Jesus is someone who shows us um, how to do life together with his friends. That's the very basic idea of the incarnation is that he incarnates himself among us and he lives the most human life that anyone has ever lived while doing so in community. So I don't know if you're expecting something super profound, like Mm. something about the Trinity of last week, but we can learn so much about community just by looking at the life of Jesus. Yeah, totally. Thank you so much for that. I mean, that's so cool. I love walking through stuff like that. I mean, there's so many like funny little examples in here, but like he spoke to their finances. Like that's, I mean, (laughs) when he tells them like render to Caesar, you know, Mm -hmm. what's Caesar's or that scene where, uh, what does he tell Peter, like, take the coin out of the fish's mouth or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, it really is, I think it's such a cool thought that, yeah, like, the most important person who ever lived on just a bare minimum level of thing, like, whether secular, religious, Christian, whatever, like, one of the most important persons in history, like, lived a very normal human life, you know? Like, he worked, he played, mm-hmm. he like he laughed, he cried, he got angry. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of ways you can make up a mythology and this seems kind of a strange way to do it to say like, yeah, he did what like a normal dude does. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And um yeah, I mean gosh, the resurrection scene is crazy to me at the end of John where he says, Okay, I have defeated death, 
I can walk through walls now. I can, you know, <laughs> raise other people from the dead. Guess what I want to do? Mm-hmm. I want to have breakfast breakfast with my friends. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's just such a cool point that, and I think it's a really interesting one. And I mean, I know you mentioned it's not that profound, but I do think it is pretty profound. Like we can think of a lot of strategies for how to do community mm-hmm. and what am I missing? You know, what, what am I doing wrong? I think a lot of times community is just like, Hey, what are you already doing? Mm-hmm. What do you like doing? And do it with other people, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. oh, okay. So you like to watch football on Sundays. Mm-hmm. Well, like, instead of just doing that by yourself, like <coughs> do that with some other guys and like try to be intentional with it a little bit. Now, I mean, you don't, I don't think you got to pray at each commercial break <laughs> or anything, <laughs> but like, you know, have some guys over like at halftime, maybe like ask some intentional questions, but like, um, yeah, it's just such a cool, I think that a lot of times is what Jesus is talking about. And interestingly, not to go too far off on a tangent, but the New Testament word for fellowship is the word koinonia. You see that all over the place. Paul brings it up a lot. That word literally means something like the common life. Um, And I think that's a cool way of thinking about what community is and what Jesus is showing here and what you're saying is that a lot of times community is just the common life of the saints. It's not Mm -hmm. doing something like, crazy extravagant or a big event or inviting in a big speaker in order to catalyze community, all that kind of stuff. It's often just like, hey, living the common life with your brothers and sisters and doing life together in that way. So anyways, that, that was really cool. I appreciate you you sharing all that. So I know we wanted to talk a little bit about Jenny Allen's book of, uh, of uh, what's it called? Find Your People. That's right. <laughs> I promise I read it. But I know you've read it too. And I think she does a good job of kind of summarizing in a few points some of the basic principles of community from the life of Jesus and mm-hmm. how he redeems it. I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on that and some takeaways that maybe some listeners could get from that as well. Yeah. So the first uh, principle that Jenny Allen talks about in her book, Find Your People, is proximity. So who are you close to geographically? And um, Jesus gives the example of this to us as he travels along with his 12 disciples. He's close to them geographically. He can, they're, one of them is always close to him. He can always bounce an idea off them or ask them something. But when thinking through our friendships and community in terms of proximity, Alan warns us that while it's not wrong to keep up with friendships and relationships, that we've had for a long time, people that may live in other towns or states or even countries, we need people that are close to us, people that she says you can run a casserole over to if needed, and they can do the same. So when we think about proximity and who's near us, I think making a list of people that we commonly interact with or see in spheres is helpful. And sometimes if we just think like, okay, who do I know? Without guidelines, it can be a little overwhelming. So a thing that I think is really helpful is thinking through who is where you live. So where you live, where your house is, where your apartment is, where you learn. So if you're in college or where your kids are in school, um, where you work. So maybe this isn't your common workplace. Maybe it is, but maybe you are retired and you volunteer on a regular basis or have some other form of work. Who's where you work and then who's where you play. So these are things like Who's on? Who are the parents on your kid's sports team? Or who's at the gym that you work out at? Or who's in the gardening club you're a part of? Whatever it may be. Who are the people that are already in the spaces 
that you are doing life that you could connect with. And then be the initiator. We all want to be the bell of the ball and be asked. However, the truth is, Alan says, you're never going to have friends unless you are willing to consistently initiate. And then finally, once you have initiated, don't stop there. Continue to be the initiator by asking intentional questions and having intentional conversations. Mm. So the barrier here to this like first thing that uh, Alan talks about is busyness. So instead of trying to add things in to an already busy schedule, kind of like Trip was mentioning earlier, think of the people that are already small parts of your life. Think of the people that are where you live, learn, work, and play. Mm. That's great. Love that. I'm curious, does she talk about, I can't remember, like, like some combination of those four or like in some seasons maybe it's like, hey, maybe – where you work or where you play is harder to build that. So focus on people where you live or vice versa. Like I know, I mean, <laughs> two things, like I grew up in a pretty rural place in North Carolina. So like where you live might be a little bit difficult, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like people don't live terribly close to you <laughs> or now even like where I live is Raleigh Durham. And so Raleigh Durham's not really a, a city. It's almost an airport, just to clarify <laughs> that. Uh, but it's like, you've got friends that like seem like they're close, mm-hmm. but actually like they're, they're a lot further away than you think they are. So anyways, does she talk about some combination of those four or like, Hey, focus on one or two of these areas or whatever the Lord like has for you or any thoughts of that? Yeah, kind of. She doesn't give the where you live, learn, work, and play. That's kind of language I took from somewhere else. But she gives some good language for how to think through um, relationships. And she says to make a list and then highlight them. And something that she said, she lives in Dallas, so kind of similar. Things are pretty spread out. And you can have another friend that lives in Dallas that lives 45 minutes away. So she says that she set out to find five friends within five miles. Mm -hmm. So that one friend, one friend could be within five miles that lives in your neighborhood or could be somebody that you go to church with. But her plan was to set out and find people that she could walk to if Mm -hmm. needed. And while that's not always who we end up being friends with, I think that's a good goal um, because she talks about how if a friend has a crisis on a Tuesday night, a random Tuesday night, how quickly can you get to them and be there for them? And if it's somebody that's an hour away, it's not going to be as convenient and helpful to you or them. Whereas if it's somebody down the street or, or close by. um, So she says, make a list, um, but then highlight people on that list that are, are closer to you or, or you think maybe you already have more in common with, and then, begin praying for those people is what she says. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so then she moves on from proximity to transparency. And so we see this in the life of Jesus as he draws near to his disciples. Like in the list earlier, we see him showing emotion and crying out to his father before his death on the cross. We see him showing um, emotion as he's flipping tables. We see Jesus showing emotion, and we know that Jesus was transparent by the questions that both the disciples asked him and their level of comfortability with Jesus seen throughout scripture, but then also how Jesus approaches and responds to those questions. 
So Jesus really does give us the model for a transparent life. So Alan gives some helpful notes and pointers here too as we think through transparency in our own lives. And the reason she gives, and I agree with, for why people are not transparent is that we hide because of pain and shame. Mm -hmm. But the cost of that shame is connection. Uh, So if we hide, um, which we often do because the enemy uses that to isolate us and draw us into hiding, thinking that we're the only ones that could possibly struggle with something and that everyone around us must have have it all together all the time, we really miss out on connection. So C.S. Lewis, who Tripp has already quoted, (laughs) I will quote now, says to love it all is to be vulnerable. And so for us to be fully loved requires us to be fully known. And Alan says, remember your whole village doesn't need to know everything. So you don't need to be airing your dirty laundry, so they say. But instead, who are three to five people that are committed to walking through your everyday life and deepest struggles? And tell them. And then as you share with them, tell them how they can show up for you, how you can show up for them. Invite them to be vulnerable with you as well. And remember that we can only be as close to people as we are vulnerable and transparent with them. Mm. And another thing that I've heard on this topic that I think is helpful is When you are thinking through what to share with people, especially if it's, maybe it's about your husband and it's something that you're really struggling with, that he's struggling with, only tell the people that are going to be in your life and be able to see that person be restored because then it's not, it's not helpful. But if we are prideful and we hide um, because of our shame, then then we really won't experience deep connection that that we see in Jesus's life, and ex- will really be lacking when it comes to experiencing community like Jesus had. Mm. Um, do you have anything you want to add, Jeff? Yeah, no, that's that's great. I, yeah, full agreement. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it, last podcast we talked about how one of the main consequences of sin is the the pros- the profound shame mm. that we feel, and it's so true. Like what Adam and Eve first do is they cover themselves. We like to not admit like how bad our hearts can be. I mentioned there where Paul says, what a wretched man I am yeah. when the, this his sin finds him out. And so I think, and then we get so afraid of telling other people, of airing that to anyone. So, but gosh, in my own life, there's always been so much freedom on the other side of that, especially with guys that, you know, uh, that love and trust me. I mean, my, my testimony is a huge part of that. I, I went on a summer project with Campus Outreach uh, 11 years ago, and I, for the first month or so, I hated every minute of it. <laughs> it was <laughs> the worst, cheesiest Christian thing I've ever been a part of, and that might be extreme language. <laughs> uh, but, like, the guys in my room were amazing and they loved me so well and they asked good questions and they created a space where I I wanted to be vulnerable and I knew I needed to be vulnerable and then I confessed sin and I had a space to really ask them have them ask me questions and I didn't realize it at the time but that was when I was first really meeting Jesus (laughs) for the first time was Mm -hmm. in those few guys uh loving me in such a way so yeah totally co-sign I have some more thoughts but maybe let's continue on with I see you got a lot of other good stuff here yeah so then the next point that Jenny Allen talks about in her book is accountability and so maybe a wall already has gone up for you Mm -hmm. this is kind of a roadblock for a lot of people but when it comes to accountability we see 
Jesus' example as he corrects, as he rebukes, as he calls people to trust in God. And that's ultimately what accountability is. It's calling ourselves and others to be who we are meant to be. As Alan says, it's truth mixed with grace. She says in her book, when we don't have a village of interconnected, consistent teammates in our lives, we feel invisible. And when we are left alone and unbothered, we become the worst version of ourselves. Whether it's neighbors or mentors or grandparents or our closest friends, we need people who see us and call us up and out. So Alan gives us a few statements that remind us of the point of accountability. She says that accountability makes us more effective. As Proverbs says, as iron sharpens iron, accountability calls us to live better. It causes us to be more like like what we were created to be, more like Christ. And accountability challenges us to reach higher. She says that accountability isn't about sin avoidance or sin mitigation. It's about challenging and inspiring one another, telling a friend she's underestimating her abilities or urging her to take a risk when you see her holding back instead of dreaming big for God. But here, too often, because of our pride, we're tempted to settle for nice. I know that temptation. Ultimately, I am a people pleaser. It is easy for me to settle for nice and just say what I know people want to hear. But ultimately, that's not helpful for for them or for our relationships. And then we surround ourselves with mirrors. We surround ourselves with people that look and think just like us and will be agreeable. So as we wrap up this section on accountability, I think it's good for us to remember something that Jenny says that our sin is worse than we can imagine and God's grace is far better than we can imagine. So accountability, like she says, is not just about sin. It's not less than talking about our sin and our struggles, but it's also calling calling one another up in two things seeing things in people's lives, giftings that the Lord has given them that they're not maybe living within Mm. and calling them to those things. Mm. Totally. Love that. Uh, And I just, just to add, you know, little thought, it's, you know, accountability is, in my experience, is a loaded word, or I guess it's it's used a lot in like college ministry world and other places too, like got to hold one another accountable, brother. (laughs) Uh, And it just almost kind of sounds a little cheesy a little bit sometimes. But I think it's just a matter of, and you're saying this, like, what are we holding people to account for, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's often, I think sometimes where accountability can be, or can seem unhelpful is like, I'm accountable to my friends, you know, and what I told them. And so they're asking me questions now. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I've, I feel like I've seen some like funny videos making fun of Christian communities and <laughs> like this before where they're like, we're just holding you accountable. And it just can seem cheesy and, and funny. I don't know if that connects with anybody. But I think what I'm saying here is ultimately we're accountable to God. Mm-hmm. And in the most helpful, healthy a- a- environments I've seen is that it's brothers or sisters in Christ reminding people that the way you're living your life, the way you're pursuing Christian discipline, the way you're pursuing God and his word is reminding you that one day we will, you know, have an account before God. I was just reminded of first Peter four. You mentioned that mm-hmm. earlier, but another verse in that chapter is just first Peter four, verse four, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same acts of life that they have, etc. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So it's, again, like, hey, the reason why we care about character, the reason that we care about, you know, vulnerability in such a way, the reason we care about accountability is not that you're just accountable to, you know, your, I don't know, your mentor or Mm -hmm. somebody or your friends. You're accountable to God. 
yeah. that's what your mentor, your friends, is ultimately trying to remind you here. So, yeah, I think that's great. Yeah. So then she moves on to something she calls shared mission. So mm-hmm. Jesus and his disciples in in their community, we see that they had a shared commitment to the coming kingdom of God. And so to be a part of this community, it meant they were united and they were guided by something that was outside of themselves. Mm -hmm. So when we think about shared mission, you can think through these questions that Jenny gives. She says, who could you pull into the mission that you're already accomplishing? Who could you join on their missions? Or who are you already on mission with that you could become a deeper friend with? C.S. Lewis gives a quote. He says, friendship must be about something, even if it were only an enthusiasm for dominance or white mice. Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. So we have to, we have to be living on some sort of mission. So what is, maybe a good question to ask ourselves as we think about this is, what, what is our mission? Is our mission truly the coming kingdom of God, or is our mission to make a name for ourselves? And be a little honest and transparent maybe with our own selves as we ask this and then begin to go forward of how can I have a shared mission that hopefully (laughs) is being united with other believers and a commitment to the kingdom of God. And uh, Jenny gives a few just examples of things that you can do to live on on shared mission. And these things are, are normal things. They're not like anything that seems super holy or, or things that people should be scared of. She says things like join a club or have a supper club at your home, things that maybe you're already doing that could just have a greater purpose. The barrier to the shared mission is um, shallowness or small talk. So like we talked about earlier, once we have these friendships and relationships and have been intentional to invite people into our lives, the intentionality can't stop there. So to continue being intentional in um, our conversations with our friendships and how we talk and ask questions and live alongside one another, ultimately to, to continue to bring, bring God glory and make his name known. Love that. I think something another scholar that I think he teaches over at Duke, Kevin Rowe, he says it's like something that was true about early Christian communities in Acts is that they, they knew why they existed. You know, they knew like why they were there. Now, ultimately, yes, it was like because they were people who believed in the death and resurrection of Jesus. But I think it's just like a, you'll see that in leadership books too, is like your community needs to know why it exists, you know? And I think this is helpful to consider like for your community group, speaking to the listener, for your Bible study, do people know why they're there, you know, mm-hmm. like, and can they articulate that, you know, and you may yeah. be thinking like, oh, yeah, I, I know what I'm doing here, like, I'm, I'm doing the Christian thing, but it's mm-hmm. like, well, there's like, <laughs> you know, more to it than just doing the Christian thing, it's like, yeah. I'm here because I need these people, and I'm here because the gospel would compel me to pursue community, I'm here for a specific purpose, I'm here to encourage my brothers and sisters, I'm here to be accountable and transparent, so this is something to think about, too, like, with that shared mission, is like, can your people that you're leading or the people who are in your community there can they articulate why they're there Mm -hmm. you know biblically so yeah love that yeah last point here right yeah last point is consistency which when 
Alan talks about consistency, she talks a lot about conflict and forgiveness because that's really the biggest barrier to consistency in our friendships outside of just being intentional. So in this in this section of her book, she gives a really good just outline of of consistency and conflict and how we can forgive. And I just want to read this portion of the, her book real quick to you. She says, because of Jesus, it really is possible to live this way. Picture the scene on the night of the Last Supper. Jesus knew that the events leading to his crucifixion had been set in motion. He soon would be betrayed and hurt by nearly every one of his closest people. But in the midst of the hurt and rejection he must have been experiencing while sitting at the table with them, he pulled out bread and he broke it for his friends to eat. He poured wine for his friends to drink. Now as they were sitting and eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The ultimate table of reconciliation has been set, built on the broken body and spilled blood of our Savior. This is why we can forgive. It is why we can come together at the table with our sinner, with other sinners. We can because he did. We can because he made a way for us to be right with him and right with each other. Mm. And I love that because it talks about Jesus and his consistency in the life of his disciples and his commitment to them. And that's really what, what consistency is. Conflict is safe when we know the other person isn't going to quit on us. When conflict happens in our friendships, oftentimes it can break them, but it's not what should happen. Conflict should not break our friendships. We have to become people that choose choose to stay and, and choose forgiveness. And as it says here, we can do that because, because of the work that Jesus did on the cross, his ability to forgive those that betrayed him and in such a horrible way and rejected him we can do that because of him and uh, Jenny gives a few just points for how we can work through conflict in our relationships and I think these are good just reminders nothing's too crazy but she says first assume the best just assume the best of others don't always think everyone is out to get you and keep short accounts be quick to apologize and then aim to be the peacemaker. I think being able to acknowledge when you're wrong is a really important one and uh, to seek forgiveness quickly. So that's that's kind of consistency. It's just being able to be be consistent in our relationships despite despite conflict that is going to happen at times. There's no relationship <laughs> in human history that is without conflict. Yeah. So how do we stay and commit and spend regular time with people even when they hurt us is really the big question. Yeah, love that. I mean, I think anyone listening who's married, you know, <laughs> knows like you're, that's the most consistent relationship that you have. Yeah. And I mean, it's just a reality of how human relationships work is that there is conflict and there's thorns and thistles to that relationship mm -hmm. and um i think i you know i've heard that before you know perhaps from people who are skeptical of the church or other places that they'll say things like well i love the church but i don't love the people you know mm -hmm. or i love the church or like the people are what's tough for me and it's like i just to that i just want to say sometimes like well <laughs> 
it's like kind of the point that people yeah. are hard, you know, yeah. <laughs> kind of the point of what the church is meant to be in light of hard people is to be able to like, how do you love people who are hard to love, you mm-hmm. know, and the church actually gives us some really cool, in the New Testament, and Jesus and his mission gives us really cool and encouraging ways to pursue people who are hard to love, you yeah. know, like anyone, pastor, you know, person working nine to five, whoever, like should come to that same conclusion, like, man, like people are hard to love. Like I love the church, but the people sometimes suck. It's like, yeah, that's a conclusion that I think anyone would make for the last 2000 years. But the point is learning how to love people despite those things. Obviously with still barriers in place, but yeah, so I love that. I think that's really good. So yeah, Sarah, so we had, let's see here, we had proximity, Mm -hmm. transparency, accountability, shared mission, and consistency. And I think you see all those things in like those examples we mentioned earlier of Jesus fishing, going to parties with his disciples, going to weddings, and then in his follow-up with them, a lot of times it was these five principles. So um, this was all really, really helpful. I'm really grateful for you to be here, walk through this with us. I'm curious, you know, as we close out, you know, me and you are in pretty different seasons of life (laughs) and just curious for the listeners to engage with us for a minute, you know, with you young mom, two kids, and myself. No kids right now. We got a dog. <laughs> but, uh, you know, newly ordained clergy, whatever, new responsibilities. Allie's got a new job, you know, and so we're working. And what are just some ways right now that you're trying to apply this? I think people could maybe hear all these things mm-hmm. and think, man, I suck. You know? yeah. <laughs> or like, I'm not doing the community thing like I should yeah. be doing. And I would hate for them to come away with that primary conclusion so I think something that's so encouraging from the things that we've talked about is that community might be a lot easier than we think it is sometimes so I'm just curious what are and I'll share some things too what are some things that you're trying to apply from this content or just in other content to to your life in regards to community yeah so I'm in a very new season just (laughs) became a mom of two Jack's only a month old so I'm still learning how to implement this in this very new, very busy, <laughs> it feels, season of life. Um, but as we've seen, busyness just can't be an excuse for not being intentional and community seeking and building. So the first thing that I'm really trying to be intentional about is using my car rides. If there's a drive that I'm taking, particularly without my toddler, Levi, who is quite loud, yeah. I'll genuinely generally use that time in the car to call somebody that I haven't spoken to in a while and just try and check in. These can be really easy, quick phone conversations, but can be really impactful and meaningful to both me and and the person on the other end of the line. And then next, using the ordinary times in life to invite people in. So like for most people, there are some consistent daily and weekly rhythms our family has, such as a nap time each day for the boys and meal times, and trying to think through ways that we can be intentional with these things so that I don't feel like I'm just adding things onto a busy schedule, but I'm making use of the things that I'm already doing to connect with people. It's really low-hanging fruit um, that can be really, really rewarding and really high, high yield in, in relationships. Yeah. Um, and then finally, one of our friends in Winston-Salem was so good about dates and checking in with people. 
Um, so anytime he had a conversation and a date was mentioned, he would add said event onto his phone calendar. So for example, Jenny's having surgery on October 1st, or John's having a meeting with his dad that he has a rough relationship with on Monday. And adding these things into his phone calendar did a few things. It gave him notification reminders, which are super helpful because life's busy and we can't always remember all the things that we say we're going to pray for, or things uh. that we want to reach out to people about. Um, but these things, it reminded him to pray for these people as these notifications would come in and as these events occurred. And it also reminded him to reach back out and check in with these people following. So whenever we received and at still times we received these messages from him, despite no longer being local, um, these texts from our friend, we felt so loved and known and cared for. And this was just a really simple way to be more intentional in our relationships. Love that. Man, yeah, whoever that guy is, yeah. he needs the gold medal. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. I think, gosh, that's really encouraging. I, For myself right now, it's it really is, honestly, it's like a super basic principle from Jenny Allen's book. But that idea of like find your people yeah. and thinking about proximity, transparency, accountability, like, you know, you know, Jenny walks through these concentric circles mm -hmm. of community, like you have your like large ocean of people. And in the church community, that's kind of like your church on Sunday, you know, and you're, you're doing some community there, but you're not doing the common life there. You're not doing life together there. So you, you go in a little bit smaller to your neighborhood or your network, you know, and that's your, that's more like what we would think of as like small groups of like, 20, 15 to 20 persons or whatever. But even then, that's like hard to do those things that Jenny Allen's talking about, right? It's hard to, you know, be fully accountable with 20, 25 people. And then, yeah, you see that in Jesus's life too. Like from, he has the 70 disciples that he sends out on mission. And then he has the 12, that's kind of his, his village. But then from there, he has his people, you know, he has his Mount of Transfiguration guys, you know. James, John, Peter, those guys he's really invested in. And so for me, it's just a matter of like, hey, praying to the Lord, asking God, can you reveal these guys to me who I can go in a little bit deeper there? And I would encourage people, yes, like I know a lot of people from Holy Trinity are listening to this. This is definitely applicable to our context, but outside as well. You know, this doesn't have to necessarily be centralized by the church. Like if you have some guys who, and the benefit of this too, a smaller group, it's a little bit more flexible. We can be a little bit more flexible with your schedule. Like if you have two kids or if you mm -hmm. have some work responsibilities and stuff and you can't make the women's Bible study meeting or you can't make the small group that meets at seven on Wednesday nights, like, okay, find that group of three, four people who you can work with each other's schedules and say, hey, we're, we're going to make it a priority. We've got 31 days in a month, mm -hmm. two days out of this month. We're going to meet for an hour and a half each time and just dive a little deeper into each other's lives and have some more deep questions asked to us. You know, it's, if your marriage is hard. You know, it's hard in the middle of 25 people to, like, talk about that when mm -hmm. she's right there beside you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think for me it's a matter of both finding that myself and then encouraging other men and women to find those, those people as well. So, yeah, well, Sarah, Goodness gracious, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. I hope people listening to it found this to be not only enriching, but practical. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, everybody. We'll be back next week. See you later. Yeah.